Welcome to the War Podcast. This is Lynn O'Donnell with Anthony Feinstein. So I made a short documentary. It's um, just under 30 minutes to highlight the mental health challenges that Afghan journalists were facing. And this is pre-Taliban takeover. And the documentary came out of a paper that I published last year uh, in which we explored uh, the mental health of Afghan journalists. Um, I did this work in, in collaboration with a man, uh, Mujib Kalvatgar, who at the time was running an NGO in Afghanistan called NAI, N-A-I. And Mujib was very well connected to all the main media in the country. And having an Afghan partner allowed me uh, to gain access to uh, the media in Afghanistan to, to undertake the study. This work continues a long tradition of similar work that I've done in other countries going back 20 years. I looked at research and uh, looked at journalists in places like Mexico, Kenya, Iran, Syria, the Balkans, etc. So the Afghan data were very interesting but very troubling because it showed not surprisingly, that Afghan journalists were subject to extremely high rates of trauma, lethal trauma that had killed many of their colleagues, killed family members. Um, and as a result of this exposure to trauma, they had very high rates of symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and depression in particular. Mm -hmm. So my research as a behavioral scientist <clears throat> is, you know, numbers-based. You can quantify trauma and depression in numbers, and that's very important but it can be quite dry. And so to try and put a face on these numbers, I decided mm -hmm. to make this short documentary. <clears throat> Once again, I worked with Najib, and he invited me to Kabul to make the documentary. I explained to Najib that I thought it was too dangerous for me to go to his country, but I had a small budget that allowed me to bring six Afghan journalists to a neighboring country, which chose India, where I filmed the interviews with the journalists and then returned to Canada and put together the documentary. And the documentary follows a very clear um, sequence in which I begin by showing the trauma that Afghan journalists, the physical trauma that they have to endure. The second part teases out the psychological symptoms in response to that trauma. The middle section uh, highlights the particular plight of women journalists in Afghanistan at the time. It then goes on to a discussion about the absence of proper protective equipment for Afghan journalists and the, and the absence largely of any kind of psychological support or therapy for them. And then, you know, I wanted to end the doc documentary on a more upbeat note by asking them to comment on how they saw the future of Afghanistan. And remember that these interviews were undertaken in New Delhi in 2019. And while there was certainly a lot of violence in the country, no one at the time anticipated a Taliban Rapid Taliban takeover. Okay. Um, what was the point in making it? Besides your research, I mean, uh, you know, researchers and academics are doing um, mm. uh, research work all the time. You say it's right. dry, you wanted to put faces to the numbers. And right. so what? So the idea was, um, given the paucity of help for Afghan journalists mm. and the fact that my research had shown such high rates of emotional trauma in this group, I wanted to use the documentary to raise money for therapy for Afghan journalists. 
right. to be able to provide them with some very basic mental health therapy to address their psychological distress. I saw that as a moral imperative. Um, um, I didn't want the data to languish in a journal somewhere where it would be read with interest and, and that's where it stops. Mm. So I thought, mm. well, you know, that, let me show what it's really like mm. to, to people and maybe we can use that to raise money. And um, that also justifies, I guess, to a great extent, the inclusion of pretty gruesome footage. Yeah, that, 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 was, a, that was a hard decision. You know, I'm not... Mm. I'm not an experienced documentary maker, but I was fortunate to work with a very experienced editor and someone who had done a lot of previous documentaries in traumatic situations, most notably the genocide in Rwanda. So, you know, we had this discussion about how much do you show? And, in the, you know, there's probably better than I. There's one school of thought that says you don't have to show this at all. And there's another school of thought that says show everything. And, you know, I, I tried to tread somewhat of a, of a middle ground, but I did want, I did want the viewer to have a visceral sense of how terrible it is for Afghan journalists. And I think to appreciate that, you've got to see some of it. Now, you know, the, the, the documentary is 29 minutes long, and I think you know, the, the, the tough visual material is no longer than a minute or two. But it is very graphic, as, as you point out. But I do think it conveys a very, very powerful message that this is what Afghan journalists were being asked to do day in and day out. This is what they were confronting. You know. We could look at it for a minute or two and feel appalled by it. But this is what these journalists were confronting basically weekly, sometimes daily. And um, and I think that in itself can be very powerful. Um, as you mentioned just earlier, um, a lot of journalists in a lot of places in the world uh, do this sort of work. Yemen, Somalia, Iraq, you, you mentioned a couple of countries on the African continent as well. Is it uh, even worse comparing what Afghan journalists have been through in the course of their work to other places? Is it any worse or is it all about the personal impact that can't be uh, quantified? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very leery of drawing direct comparisons between Afghanistan, for example, and Iraq or Syria or Kenya or Mexico. You, you know, you're comparing different cultures, different societies and and you know, when, when you look at mental health and the way we assess it, it can be potentially hazardous to to make direct comparison. Um, that said, there's some you know, some hard facts with respect to the Afghan data that I've collected, which seems to put this this level of trauma in in, in, a, in an extremely high category. For example, you know, so many of the Afghan journalists had colleagues who had been killed, and they knew them. Yeah, and that you know that's a very severe uh, trauma. Um, their their level of exposure to suicide bombings or or attack or being you know actually targeted by, by by the Taliban in particular was extremely high so when you when you look at the at the objective quantification of trauma in this group it's very high now it was also very high in Iraq as, as you know early in the in the war and it's certainly been extremely high in Syria so there, there are lots of places in which the journalists are getting targeted very severely by by terrible things um, so, so I'm cautious in saying, you know, that the Afghan data is much worse than what you would see elsewhere. But it's certainly at the very top of the severity scale. And um, and I think that, that, you know, it's enough to make a point like that. I don't think, you know, it's a competition between countries who, who's, who's the worst. But the, the Afghan data is really the most, when I look back over the studies that, that, I, that I've completed, I think the Afghan trauma data is at the very top of the severity scale. PTSD in recent years, I noticed when I was covering the war in Iraq, suddenly it was 
part of the discourse and it's become part of the discourse since and news organisations like to pat themselves on the back at management level about how good they are in how well they treat their people. Um, Australian journalists are getting, you know, counselling for covering bushfires. In America, it's after covering riots. It's, yep. You know, um, it's it seems to me that at least when I was cutting my teeth, that this is just what we did. Uh, we went out and we covered bushfires and we went out and we covered riots and, you know, immigration um, uh, things, whatever. Um, I just wonder um, what's changed um, and has it made a difference? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, having done this for a long time, I can speak to that. So one of yeah. the advantages of getting old is you get a historical perspective on things. Yeah. But um, I, you know, when, my very first journalism study began in 1999, you know, pre-9-11. And it was funded by the Freedom Forum, that at the time was based in Washington, D.C. And it turned out to be the very first detailed study of um, psychological health in frontline journalists. And so it had a real novelty to it. Um, and CNN, BBC, Reuters, Associated Press, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation all took part in the study. And a very large group of, of frontline journalists, 140. And I published the data in the American Journal of Psychiatry. And that's a high impact psychiatry journal. And it turned out to be the very first publication, very first research devoted to this group of individuals. And because of that, um, your profession, the media took it up. They found it interesting. There was an article in the New York Times about it. And then, you know, strangely overnight, I, you know, de facto became the expert on this topic, which was slightly embarrassing. It was almost like, you know, in the land of the mm. blind, the one-eyed is king. But suddenly I was the guy <laughs> who had done this, this big study. And, and the data certainly were very interesting. And then to the credit of certain news organizations, they looked at it carefully and said, well, hold on a second. We seem to be missing something over here because... Up until then, this hadn't been a topic in newsrooms. Mm. There mm. was no therapy for journalists. And news organizations were sending people into, well, you know this better than I, in the world's worst places to get the mm. story. And mm. for, you know, for the most part, journalists were fine, but there was a minority who were not. And that, journal, that, that group were not getting any help. There was no assistance for them. And so responsible news organizations started to look at this seriously. People like Chris Kramer at CNN was a, was a pioneer saying, you know, Anthony's got some really interesting data and we should follow up on this. And so when 9-11 took place soon after I started my work, you know, Chris invited me down to New York and said, um, you know, come sit in the CNN offices and if necessary, provide assistance to journalists. And, you know, I sat there for, a, you know, a week or so. And, you know, it's not like my, my, my office was flooded with journalists because you know, your profession is resilient. But there were some individuals who were struggling. And they came to see me and they found it very helpful. And so slowly the culture started to change. So when the war in Iraq started, uh, you know, soon after that in 2003, I got a commission once again from CNN, but this time from ITN to have a look at the whole notion of embedded journalists. You know, was it good for, for journalists to be part of military units or was it psychologically bad? And I said, okay, I'll do research. And so they funded the study and we were able to show it never made a difference. And so gradually, you know, news organizations in the Western world started to discuss this and started to take this problem seriously. And it's really good that they did it because while your profession is very resilient and the majority of journalists will never get PTSD or depression, there is a substantial minority who do get these problems and these difficulties can bring them down very hard indeed. And so... 
putting something in place to help these journalists, I think is, you know, is a moral imperative to do it. And so gradually over the years, this, this belief has taken root in Western organizations that you shouldn't just look after someone's physical well-being. You need to also care for their, their psychological health. And, you know, if you can, you know, when I look at my journey, what happened after that was my work started to move into different countries. UNESCO approached me to say, you know, we're really worried about the situation in Mexico with the extraordinarily high levels of, of violence and the drug cartels targeting journalists. Can you do a study? And so they funded a, a study and we were able to show that, indeed, the Mexican journalists who are being targeted by the cartels we're having a lot of psychological problems. And bit by bit, I've started to you know, expand my reach outside of the newsrooms of, of Canada, United States, and Great Britain. War-torn countries, indeed. Yeah, and then you run into this really big difficulty, which is that, you know, in Canada, we're blessed by having the National Health Service, and England, we have the same thing. But, you know, when we did a study in, in, uh, in Syria, for example, um, you know, who's going to help journalists in Syria? And that's the same situation with Afghanistan. Like, you know, very rudimentary mental health services in countries like that. Who's going to provide the help to journalists? You know, they're just not mm -hmm. getting it, even though they're being hammered relentlessly by this violence. And gradually over time, you know, my work has become known to to people outside of news organizations. A benefactor recently set up a not-for-profit in my name in which people donate money that I can use to fund psychotherapy for journalists in places where they just don't get this kind of help. Um, so, so one sees how the, the, the reach of this work expands. Um, but the great swathes of this world where, you know, journalists don't get help. For well, since you made your film, uh, circumstances in Afghanistan have changed. Um, and, and I would imagine that this would, the changes that have gone on there, I mean, you know, the attacks on journalists uh, yeah. physically, but also the, the shrinking of the space, the attempt to stop journalists working as journalists uh, closing them down all of the all of the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan I think it's it should be pretty well known um, but I'm sure that this will add to the mental trauma um, that Afghan Afghanistan's journalists are um, experiencing would you say that that would be the case absolutely I think um, give you an example so I made the documentary the plan was to try and use it to raise money to help Afghan journalists. And then with the sudden collapse of the Afghan government and the Taliban takeover, um, I couldn't sell it to, to news organizations simply because of security fears that um, if they broadcast it, it would reveal who the journalists were and they were living in mortal fear of the Taliban. And so, you know, the documentary could not be sold, couldn't raise money that way. Um, and, and the very fact that I, that I couldn't sell it speaks to the terror of the Afghan journalists left behind, who um, of the six journalists in the documentary, you know, one was able to get to Canada, but the other five, you know, emailed me and WhatsApped me weekly saying, help, help, get me out of this country. We need, we need to leave. So they are dreadfully afraid for their safety and the safety of their, of their family members. And, you know, they're not able to work. And so you've got this compounded issue. You've got the trauma that was so prevalent uh, pre-takeover that came from all the suicide bombings and the attacks on them, now made worse by an inability to work, a fear for the future, and a real concern on their part that there's going to be some kind of retribution. Because when you look at the documentary, a number of them speak out very openly against the Taliban. And so they, they're vulnerable. And there's, mul yeah. there's multiple layers of, of pressure on them now.
Well, um, going back to when you were making the documentary, did you find that any of the Afghan news organisations cared about the impact that covering the war had on their reporters, especially given that um, it was a billion dollars of investment by uh, the United States um, into the development of the media in the first place? or the redevelopment. I mean, historically, you can go back a um, hundred years and there was a free media in Afghanistan, but the the redevelopment of uh, a media in our own image, if you like, right. did, um, did it also come along with um, an awareness or at least an openness to the idea that um, covering the war might have um, a detrimental psychological impact on the reporters who were asked to cover it day after day? Well, they, I think, you, know, you have to see journalism within the broader Afghan co context. There wasn't, there isn't um, a tradition within Afghanistan of talking about mental health issues the way we anyway. do it. You know, and yeah. so you know, there, there, there wasn't, um, this, this is not something that had developed. I mean, Afghanistan is not unique like that. I and mean, we found the same thing in Syria with any, any many other countries as well. And so the answer really is no. There wasn't a discussion about this. There wasn't. Uh, an understanding of um, how how severe these mental health difficulties could be, but I don't think that's a reflection on the news organisations directly. I think it's just the way things were in Afghanistan. This is not yes. how things were done there, which I think is really unfortunate because, you know, we know now from you know very compelling data from the World Health World Health Organisation is it doesn't matter which country you live in, when there are mental health problems, they will bring you down. There's a tremendous morbidity and mortality associated with mental health. Yeah. Um, and this is not this is not a Western construct. It's a global construct. Um, one of the greatest sources of poor health in this world is poor psychological health. And yeah. when you're in a situation like Afghanistan where there was so much trauma, this comes into very into very sharp focus. You do a study and I recognize, you know, at upfront that the tools that we use in a society like this to define the trauma are limited. We're not we're not working with culturally sensitive psychometric rating scales developed for Afghanistan because they just don't exist. So I recognize that we're using fairly crude measurement scales. But that said, you know, you don't have to be a genius to see that the levels of trauma visited on journalists is extremely high. And like many other cultures, like all other cultures, when you go through something like this, they are going to be traumatized people. And there'll be a particular there'll be a particular presentation with it within Afghanistan that will be unique to them. But the bottom line is you're going to have a lot of people who are severely traumatized. And that's what our data show in a, in a fairly crude way. And it also shows that they're not getting any kind of help. But um, you, you say um, you said earlier that <clears throat> once your research began to get some media attention, that a lot of media organizations uh, took an interest in it. Um, yes. I've I've worked in this field for a long time. I ran uh, big, busy, multimedia frontline bureaus for some of the biggest news organisations in the world. Nobody in the management of those organisations has ever asked me how I am. One organisation um, even marginalised me from discussion about death threats that I had received. Um, a colleague was sacked. 
uh, and uh, was never off a, a frontline photographer, um, was never offered any um, counselling, PTSD um, treatment or anything, even though on his behalf I, I begged for about six months. So I really wonder whether or not it's just window dressing for a lot of organisations. Yeah, look, you know, you, you, you raise a good point. It hasn't been an easy journey uh, to convince people. Um, and I'm sure there, there, are, there are many instances of, of journalists not getting the help that they need. There is, unfortunately, and this is not unique to journalism, there is still a, a, you know, a stigma in relation to mental health, even in our societies where, you know, people are speaking about it so more, so much more openly. So you, you run into the, the, the challenges of dealing with stigma. I also think there's a generational uh, issue that you know, people from the older generation are much less comfortable speaking about this. And so they tend to, to brush it under the carpet. You know, for someone like me, who, who's not a journalist, when I started to do this work back in 1999, 2000, I was amazed that there simply was absolutely nothing in place to help journalists in terms of their mental health. Because yeah. what, I, what I realized very quickly was how, how very dangerous this work was. And you know, one of the things that I found so intriguing about your profession, which has kept me uh, doing this research for such a long time is you've got a group of individuals here who willingly expose themselves to the world's worst places and they I do know. it year after year after year and you know, your, your, yeah, your level of exposure to to violence exceeds mm. i believe soldiers because yep. you know veterans have one tour of duty or two tours of duty and they come home but your profession's been doing it for 15 20 years and that's a really interesting thing to look at you know why are you doing it and that's a different topic yep. But in response to that, you know, you've got to have, I think there's a moral imperative that if these organizations want journalists to do it, you've got to be able to provide the proper kind of assistance to them. Yeah. And, that, and you pointed out it wasn't being done. And although the situation has changed, it's still not being done properly. And in great chunks of the world, it's not been done at all. And Afghanistan yeah. is a good example of that. Yes, indeed. Um, so um, I, one of the question that I wrote down here was, what do you advise the news organisations that you work with? I guess it's not a bad question. You, do you go in and say, ask everyone how they are, you know? Um, you know what? Put yeah, my, my, my approach is education. I think people have to be educated about it. And so, you know, what I do with news organisations is that I educate them about trauma. And I'm very, you know, very careful in stating that you know, I'm a behavioral researcher. I try and undertake meticulous research. I'm not coming in as a psychiatrist and telling, that, telling you that you're a traumatized profession because you're not. Yeah. I'll point out by telling that the majority of journalists, despite exposure to you know, the world's worst places, will not get PTSD, will not succumb to severe depression. But there is a minority, and the minority is much higher than you would find in the general population. And this is not a surprise, who will yeah. get these conditions. Yeah. And you cannot ignore it because PTSD, for example, full-blown PTSD, the proper PTSD, brings someone down very hard. And, um, you know, if you've got a journalist who's broken a leg, you would never dream of telling the person to just suck it up and get on with their life. You get the person to a hospital and you get their leg repaired. It's the same with trauma. If you've got someone yeah. who's deeply traumatized, the level of disability is as profound as the fractured leg and would like to linger for far longer. So how can you turn your back on it? And so through a process of education, I try and persuade people that this is a very important topic. And because I'm dealing with smart individuals, they get the message. 
but also stress to them that there's a moral imperative over here, that you can't expect people to do this kind of work and then hang them out to dry if they're going to have problems. You know, that, that's just morally wrong. Um, and I think that's a powerful argument as well. And I think slowly, bit by bit, the culture's changed. Certainly when I look at the situation now compared to the way it was 20 years back, there's a huge change. My worry at times is that sometimes the pendulum might have swung a little too far to the other you know, end of the spectrum where you know, the diagnosis of PTSD has been thrown about, I think, very loosely now. Um, and that, but, that, but that's a different topic. I think at the end of the day, there's still a lot of, a lot of work to be done in this, in this area. Well, thank you very much for your time, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Wish you all the best. Yes, thank you again.